There's Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast that helps you pair the most bizarre films from cinema's past, streaming on Netflix, Prime, Peacock, Pluto, and plain old YouTube with the right kind of cannabis. We're here to answer such burning questions as, should you vape a mellow indica before you watch Frank Sinatra karate chop Henry Silva in The Manchurian Candidate, or just lean into the Cold War paranoia with a potent sativa strain instead? Should you ingest a fistful of high-powered gummies before you put on David Lynch's Eraserhead? And how high should you be the next time you watch The Wizard of Oz or Pink Flamingos, The Day the Earth Stood Still? <laughs> this week, we leaned right in... <laughs> Greg, you're too stoned! <laughs> this week, we leaned right yes. into mid-20th century malaise with The Misfits, the tragic last film for Hollywood legends, Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe, and The Intruder, where William Shatner spouts horrible racist bile that even the evil Captain Kirk wouldn't say. It's all right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. And we're back! I'm Bob Calhoun, author, journalist, and former incredibly strange wrestler and peep show barker. My latest book is The True Crime History of San Francisco, The Murders That Made Us, available now from ECW Press, and let me introduce you to my co-hosts. First, we have Greg Franklin, founder of the animation studio Six Point Harness, and the animation director for Tig Notaro Drawn, now streaming on HBO Max, and the Oscar-winning short Hair Love. Thanks for having me, Bob. And let me introduce you to my good pal, Corey Sklar. Hey, Bob, how's it going? I'm really excited to learn about some old movies while I get really high. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the origins of the show here, because really this all started on your radio show. It was more of a radio show than a podcast, Corey. It was uh, a logical contraption, and you had me on to introduce a bunch of old movies that you thought stoners would like. Yeah, people my age, uh, uh, we don't really know movies before 1965, basically. I don't, you know what I mean? My education starts pretty much at John Waters. So um, I, as, as I get older, I want to learn about these grandpa movies, and I know a lot of them are, are weird. So uh, yeah, I, you're kind of like my, uh, my authority on this, Bob, so I'm really excited to, to dive in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, well, the 70s, so much stuff is franchised. Even stuff that didn't really make it too much beyond the 70s, like, you know, Godfather. You know, Rocky. They're still making Rocky movies, and of course, Star Wars, and, you know, I think Jaws will come bubbling up. So I think think uh, everybody, like, you know, tweens have an idea of 70s films. Oh, I uh, think every college student still has that Scarface poster in their dorm room. <laughs> I, I hope yes. they do. They have Johnny Cash flipping you off, Bob Marley, and Scarface. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you're so, lucky, so, that's what they have. You, they might, <laughs> they might just have a Jason Bua poster. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's might true. that might be um, as good as it gets. An Alex Gray tool cover, maybe. But um, I used to have that cool blacklight poster that said "Stoned Again" and the guy's face is melting. I don't know if you guys. Oh know yes, that. R. Crumb. Yeah, and Greg Greg got me to loosen up a bit. I wanted to keep it just 60s and earlier, but Greg Greg had the idea that people would tune into this thing from time to time to maybe figure out what they want to smoke with a razor head or you know any number of other movies. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see how it goes. I think that um, when I'm looking at movie podcasts, I'll I'll sometimes click on a movie I know already. 
and learn about one a little later on that I maybe don't know. I just met me a girl sweet enough to eat. Fine-looking woman. How'd he do? I have an empty house out in the country just beyond Hawleyville. It's all yours if you want some peace and quiet before you go back. Gee, goes on forever. There's no better place to be. You couldn't find better company either. So for first film, we're going to do a little Mustangin' with the Misfits, where a trio of broken-down drunks cling to their corner of the vanishing American dream and perv on poor Marilyn Monroe. Now, 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 Corey, when we were hashing out old movies for young stoners, you suggested this movie and said, I've never seen it, and it seems weird as fuck. So how do you feel about it now, Corey? Uh, gosh, yeah, it was, it's less weird than I thought it was. It's kind of straight ahead, but it, I, I don't know, I... I I feel like I get a I get a haunted feeling from this movie. It, it feels kind of very dark. It's not a lot of laughs in this movie, is what I'll say. But my main complaint is Glenn Danzig wasn't in this movie once. <laughs> and Jerry only like yeah. little maybe I, maybe the little kid maybe one of the little kids running around the rodeo. Is when Jerry I see only. a movie called The Misfits, I want to see Jerry only smashing bases. I want to see uh, <laughs> Doyle, you know, being really buff. But none of that was in this movie. No, no. When I first finished, when I when the movie completed and it was done, I I was kind of just empty inside. I didn't have much. But it's one of those movies that sticks in your craw and you think about and uh, it haunts. It haunts me the more I think about it. But it. Um, starts in Reno, which is great because I've spent a lot of really bad, broken American times there. You know what I mean? What a great location. Yeah, well, it's written by Arthur Miller, like hot on the success of, of his plays of Death of a Salesman. And I think The Crucible was also before this. And he was in, you had to to get divorced in America back in the 50s um, and earlier. You had to, Reno was the place you went and you had to stay there for weeks while your divorce finished. So he was there just kind of doing nothing, trying to divorce his, either his first or second wife because he wanted to marry Marilyn Monroe. And he's hanging out with these kind of drunk cowboys there. That's what he does. He ends up hanging out with these cowboys that are like the characters in the movie. And, you know, and he's thinking of Marilyn because he's doing it all for her. And so he writes this movie script for her to elevate her because she's like the greatest actress of her time. But she's always in these like comedies and these kind of sex farces, you know. So it's like it's kind of funny because it's got Clark Gable. The cowboys are Clark Gable. Eli Wallach is like a guy who flies a crop duster and then like a kind of broken down Montgomery Clift. Those are the cowboys and it's after Montgomery Clift's uh, plastic surgery. And uh, so he has a kind of just sadness to him and he lets his eyebrows grow out after the surgery and he he's not into trying to stay beautiful anymore. And uh, so they're kind of like a Greek chorus in this and they're always like telling Marilyn how good she is. They're trying to get in down. They're trying to get down her pants, but they're also saying what a what a great whiteness of being she has. They keep using the word magical in the first part of the movie. Mm. She's so magical. You're magical. You're magical. Ma like magic. Arthur Miller keeps putting that word in the script, and I don't think she's that magical. Um, I I'm, I think that's on purpose, but she also seems kind of dumb and slow a lot. I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. All that bullshit. So it's funny how they keep it's it's like an early manic pixie dream girl kind of thing, right? Mm. Well, that's, that's what she is a lot. 
Yeah. And I know it's supposed to be elevated. Um, he wrote this for her to like elevate her career, but she's still acting like ditzy and stuff. I mean, she's doing it amazing, you know, but they didn't give her that much or Arthur didn't give her that much depth. But I feel like I came into this movie cold. I don't know any I didn't know any of the context. I didn't know any of the behind the scenes. I feel like this movie is elevated by knowing you know, the background of it. And like the, what you just told me, Arthur Miller actually spent time in Reno getting divorced, which uh, inspired this. I had no idea. That makes this movie way better. This movie, I, I watched this movie stoned a couple of years ago with, <laughs> uh, with my parents. And I think it's a good, Corey, you said the movie may not have been as weird as you thought it would. And yeah, for, a, for, for, you know, a stoner movie podcast, it might not be. But for watching a movie with your parents while you're stoned and no one else is, it's kind of perfect. You know, uh, I think my mother said halfway through the movie, this is so weird. And it is. It's kind of shambling. You know, it doesn't have like a real strong hooky plot. It has um, a lot of kind of surprising things. It has, you know, there's not a whole lot for Marilyn to do, but she does have that great scene which is kind of similar to the uh, Soylent Green, Charlton Heston, you damn dirty apes kind of moment when she's screaming about you're killing the horses, you know. And, and you know, she she does get a little bit of moments to, to kind of stretch. I think it's like, a, it's a good secretly stoned movie. Yeah, it, you're right, you're right. It's it's um, a lot tone poem-y in a lot of ways. You yeah. Know, like you said, the plot is in shambles, which you don't usually connect arthur lee arthur miller i almost said arthur lee of love arthur miller from uh, to, to like this kind of like tone poemness maybe that was john houston's doing who i do when i do think of john houston's movies i think of mm-hmm. you know long scenes like that um, right but can you give me some more context bob like what's montgomery cliff's deal who is he what's his deal <laughs> okay he he is He's considered like a first of the method actors, even though he kind of bristled at that. He was he was not really of the method so much as he just kind of exuded that naturally. He was this incredibly beautiful man. Like my mom, he he was uh, gay or bisexual, and my mom would always refer to him. What a waste! Most beautiful man <laughs> in the world. You know, I like, said the but, same thing about Liberace. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, so. so yeah, my mom was like, that's how my mom would talk about him. He he had a car accident. He was at a party at Elizabeth Taylor's house a little bit before The Misfits. Not He was in the middle of filming that Raintree County movie, which is, I don't want to get into that, but it was like MGM's answer to Gone with the Wind with Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift. So he's at a dinner party at Elizabeth Taylor's house, and he's taking pills and getting drunk. You know, he had some alcohol issues, some substance abuse issues. And Kevin McCarthy from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, who's also in The Misfits, yes. he's playing Marilyn's ex-husband who buys her a Cadillac. And Eli Wallach says they buy, you know, it was my gift for my divorce. They're giving gifts for that now? You know, anyway, I, I tangented there. But so M- Monty Clift and Kevin McCarthy are at this party and they're going to go home. And Kevin McCarthy says, why don't you follow me? I know a secret path through Benedict Canyon to get out of here. Because oh, everybody in L.A. And so Montgomery Clift is is driving, is following him. And Kevin McCarthy looks back and he doesn't see Clift's car anymore. So he turns around and finds Montgomery Clift's car plowed into a tree. And he tries to get him out. He finds him in the car, but he can't really get into the car. And he drives back to Elizabeth Taylor's house 
you know, because there's no phone booths out there in that part of Beverly Hills and, and tells her, they call the ambulance, they call the doctor and then Elizabeth Taylor and McCarthy and whoever else head down the hill. They, uh, Elizabeth's able to get into the car. Uh, Montgomery Clift actually had his teeth. He couldn't breathe because his teeth were down his throat and Elizabeth Taylor pulled the teeth out of his throat oh, so he could God. breathe. Jeez. And her dress that she had is covered in blood. The um, the journalists, the reporters got the police call. And so they were all descending on the scene before the ambulance could get there. And she gets out of the car all covered in blood after cradling Montgomery Cliff's head. And she says, you, you fuckers, you know, you fuckers will never work in this town again if you don't get out of here. And because it's Liz, they actually did. He it's kind of like Mark Hamill, who got into a car accident during Empire Strikes Back, where he's this beautiful man. You know, then his face looks kind of, to us, kind of weird after that. They had to reconstruct Montgomery Cliff's face. So he lost these, like, perfect looks of his. And always kind of, yeah, he didn't look bad. But as you can see in The Misfits, he, he does look like a guy who's probably eaten the dirt falling off a buck and bronco a few times. He looks like that drunk rodeo guy. He kind of plays like he's a little out of it, too, in this movie. I guess maybe he was in real life, huh? Well, he, you know, there's a document, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who's the least stoned. So of course I did the most research for this. There's a documentary of him on, on canopy that I watched, which was by his nephew. And it was debunking all of the, the kind of myths around Montgomery Clifton. Like they would attribute like his performance in, uh, also has Shatner, uh, judgment at Nuremberg. Like he had a nervous breakdown on stage, but it was real or in the set. But he was really just that good an actor. So he, he knew what he wanted to do with the part. I mean, he, he did have substance abuse problems. And he probably he had head injury problems. Like the character that he's playing definitely did. You know, the character gets a head injury in the movie. And there's that great shot. I re, I'm glad I have a chance to bring it up. There's that great shot in the movie where Marilyn is like cradling his head. He's kind of laying down in the alley behind a bar. And she's cradling his head. And there's all these Coors cans there's this pile yeah. of Coors cans behind her so so yeah that's what's up with montgomery clift in this thank you now i know and but the other thing is is this is the last film for clark gable and Marilyn. uh clark actually the some of the scenes in gable some of the scenes in uh you know where they're roping the horses and things and some of the rodeo shots uh he had a heart attack leaving reno from this movie and died 10 days later Wow. Yeah, so that ended him. Marilyn goes on a bit. She makes a movie. She started making a movie with Dean Martin, and um, she was very, you know, it just wasn't working out. She wasn't able to get on the set. She wasn't, she had some sinus issues that were, you know, the doctor diagnosed them. They were legitimate. Um, but the studio was like hemorrhaging money on Cleopatra with Liz Taylor at the time, Fox. And it was just a just a bad situation. And then she either committed suicide or was killed by the Kennedys and that whole thing. I don't really want to go into all of that. The only thing I'll say about it is I'm watching Arthur Miller documentaries. He doesn't seem to entertain any of that at all. He was mm -hmm. with her and she was definitely suicidal when he was with mm -hmm. her. And, and some of that was brought out on the set, you know, that's the funny thing. He writes this love letter to her and then she's like, <laughs> then, then they're breaking up when they're actually making the movie and he's there. Oh, it's like Fleetwood Mac rumors. Yeah. It's, 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 Fleetwood Mac, 
<laughs> it's it's the Fleetwood Mac rumors of old Hollywood. Mm. Wow, that's incredible. So this movie might have killed Clark Gable. Yeah, it it didn't help. I mean, he was machoing it up. You know, his his wife or mm-hmm. or his agents were like, he can't really do all this stuff. But he's like, oh, I'm going to do all this. Well, his performance and- in this is you know great, but it also seems you know he has that old timey almost cartoonish way about him and it seems like out of style with the other actors around him in a way so that's interesting to watch mm-hmm. yeah well eli wallach like he always does he he almost steals the movie from all these people every time i see that dude in a movie he steals it by the way mm-hmm. yeah yeah he Thelma steals Ritter too yeah, yeah she's she... awesome doesn't the movie lose a bit when she goes away Yes, yes, absolutely. And they, they say bye to her in such a quick way. I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, and she the, sees her. There's a lot of weirdness about ex-husbands and wives in this. She sees her ex-husband and then she has to go hang out with him. That's her tradition. Um, right. And she, she seems really accepting with her divorce, too. And like, oh, he wouldn't have stayed with me. There's a lot of that, like a lot of honest talk about breaking up, which I don't see a lot in in old media like that so that that was interesting to see too yeah i mean all those hollywood stars had like multiple divorces and marriages you know you'd think if 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 if, of anybody they'd be more sympathetic to uh to showing it this movie's uh in black and white bob just real quick was this late for black and white was this an artistic choice for it to be in black and white it's it's a little late. It's it's getting they definitely kind of Hollywood A productions are going to be in color from here on out and then as the 60s goes on, you know, a black and white film by the mid by the mid 60s a black and white film is is from a major studios getting more and more rare. So, it's mm-hmm. definitely it hasn't transitioned out yet, but it's it, I think it is, you know, I mean, if, if Houston and Arthur Miller wanted to film it in color, they could have, you know, with those stars in it and everything. They definitely wanted this in black and white or thought black and white was the right way to go for it. Nice. Thank you. Let's get to the weed now. Like, you know, I'm an idiot about weed, but guys, what weed would you recommend with this movie, with the Misfits? You know, I'm not super specific, but... Um... You know, I, I tend to think that a movie that had that opens up with Thelma Ritter, with that bringing that energy, a mellow uh, indica, you know, is not a bad choice. You know, um, a lot of younger stoners might get impatient by the pace of this film. It's not a, a plot machine. It's not that kind of story bullet that audiences have become accustomed to. So anything that is going to plant you in the couch would be a good choice. Excellent, Greg. I agree with you 100%. I chose the wrong strain of weed for this movie while watching. I smoked bong loads of Orange Crush, which is a sativa dominant mm. um, hi- hybrid. And it's more on the energizing side rather than the calming side. I would have rather had a uh, champagne kush. So I recommend a champagne kush for the misfits. Something like Greg said, they just plant you into the couch and you could just let the beauty of John Houston's scenes just wash over you and the tragedy and the hauntingness and the horse brutality too. So mm. champagne kush is what I suggest for the misfits. Excellent. Yeah, choice. we should we should do a trigger warning on the horse brutality at the end which, you know, <laughs> is is hard to watch and it's purposely hard to watch. Is a trigger warning named after Will Rogers' horse? <laughs> yes, trigger warning. <laughs> Excellent. 
Mike Royer, if you're listening, that one was for you. The Misfits is included with an Amazon Prime subscription and is also available for free with ads through Pluto. This man, take a good look at him. He's a specialist. He knows exactly how to turn this quiet town into a hell of violence. The Negroes will literally, and I do mean literally, control the South. They are willing to fight down to the last ditch and keep fighting till this thing is over. The intruder. He made the sleepy town of Caxton his town for his reason. He played on their fears and their hatreds. This town became a headline for the intruder. And for our next film, we have William Shatner, still looking very much like original Star Trek Captain Kirk, as a proto-Stephen Miller sent to a small southern town to stir up the locals against school desegregation. It's a shocking, jarring film from Roger Corman called The Intruder. I have to say that, you know, that 15-second stretch we just heard from the trailer is the only part of the trailer where they don't say the N-word. I mean, this movie is... It's very very real it's it's uh you know it's directed by roger corman who is kind of in between uh directing things like uh attack of the crab monsters and it conquered the world and these kind of uh junky aip american international sci-fi pictures of the 50s he's in between that and the vincent price edgar Allan poe movies he would do in the 60s so he's making a message film here and it's yeah it's very very shocking sometimes very hard to watch i mean seeing captain kirk say the n-word that much seeing everybody say the n-word bob i think that this is the most racist film that i've seen since pulp fiction uh (laughs) it was absolutely insane to watch this movie i watched it with my daughter we were both high as a fucking kite and (laughs) she's 21 okay and so uh I, I have to tell you, she is a total cinephile. Uh, you, you know, when she was in high school, this is this is all leading somewhere. When she was in high school, she wanted to watch the uh, entire AFI Top 100, right? And so she was asking for a movie. I was looking through my stuff. I had a D, uh, a, a Blu-ray of um, a Bringing Up Baby, which was in the you know way up there. And she hated that film. She absolutely hated it. Maybe she wasn't stoned enough. She wanted to see something else to write her paper on. And she was looking through my stuff and she picked out Taxi Driver. Right? She wanted to see Taxi Driver. She's like 14 or 15 years old. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it with her. That entire film, the only time she was disturbed by this film, this very disturbing film, was the N-words. In that film, where the only time, any time that an N bomb would drop, she would look at me like, you know, it was for 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 this younger generation. That's that's the trigger warning right there. So for a young person to watch this movie where Captain Kirk is basically portraying, like, yeah, like you said, like Steve Bannon or whatever, or Stephen, um, 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 uh, well, either one. Um, either, works, <laughs> interchangeable. either one like this Donald is, Trump 
this will be this will be the hardest one to to get behind because it's very hard to like get stoned and watch this movie The Intruder which it also is known as I hate my guts on the canopy version which <laughs> betrays its sort of exploitation kind of roots here but uh, but to watch that I think the only times that she laughed were during some of the more melodramatic scenes such as when the wife is talking to the liberal newspaper editor in the hospital and saying like honey basically she's saying honey I I'm I'm racist I agree with all the townspeople I agree with the angry mob but because this is so important to you and you're my loving husband and you would risk your life for this I'll stop being racist for you in the most melodramatic way and I couldn't I couldn't stop her from laughing at that part you know that 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 that's what you were we're here for it is different than like a Stanley Kramer movie about racism yeah that that's the thing that's really I mean we should say there's a lot of racism in the film and it's very frank about it and very casual with the n-word people just start saying the n-word right away and oh, yeah. I think I'm the I might be the only person here with racist white parents and you know once they get going with that word yeah. you know love my mom god rest her soul but it's like it's like crap that just that's just the word <laughs> yeah. you know that's just how certain people are described mm-hmm. uh not something i'm proud of but it is like when you see a stanley kramer movie like the defiant ones or something it's all really cleaned up and roger mm. corman making this kind of night of the living dead level low budget movie on location and you know he is in his like you know i hate your guts that that altered a title and shame is the other title coming from exploitation he's just going for it mm-hmm. in a way it might be and his the, scariest movie it it is in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah. you know and uh the other thing is there's all these people that are just kind of the townspeople there that are extras that are in the, and they've got like beards longer than yours <laughs> And they kind of look like, like when you watch like the Defiant Ones or any kind of other movie about racism from that time, like the big Hollywood movies, the big A productions, it's all these Hollywood actors. Like, like mm-hmm. even Lon Chaney Jr., he looks, you know, he's, he's over the hill in those things. He's always kind of playing some town racist or something. Right. Or, or, you know, Bad Day at Black Rock, you know, like Robert Ryan and Ernest Borgnine. There's still Hollywood actors where this movie has like, those people are like the real people that would be at this kind of rally. And, and yeah. it's kind of shocking to see that too. It just has a, it has a realness to it, a reality to it that, that's something that pulled its punches more. I mean, there's rough edges and there's problems with the presentation of the movie and the plot. And mm-hmm. I do want to live in the world where things could end the way they end in this movie. Oh my God. The <laughs> ending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> the ending is so absurd. The, the the racist mob is like how wrong we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give too much of it away. Basically, oh, what I'm happened sorry. at January sixth? Everyone was like, "Oh, we're sorry." And yeah. Home. yeah, I I wish <laughs> I I wish that Leo Gordon as the mm. traveling salesman mm-hmm. who with the wife that you know you know yes. she's there's a rape scene too. William Shatner basically yes. rapes this guy's wife, and she's like, "Oh, she had a problem with sex, and she's a nymphomaniac." But my wife Rosie pointed out like she says no like fourteen times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like no, yeah, she's uh, not no just. 
Yeah, she's not really an infomaniac. And how much of that is is, is from Shatner, like, trying to, you know, make shit up about her? I I mean, it it speaks to, I mean, it's so, it's real because guys like this are like, it speaks to the grab him by the pussy thing, right? It's like everything keeps repeating. We keep seeing these same stories over and over again, a face in the crowd. Mm -hmm. It's like, and no one learns their lesson. This movie was so real, Bob. So I never heard of this. I came in completely cold. I never saw it, never knew anything, and um, I was stoned as fuck, just like Greg and his daughter were. Mm. And uh, I, and it is a Roger Corman movie, so of course the sound is atrocious. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but and they probably made it in two or three days or something like that. But mm-hmm. boy, I was so impressed with it. Um, William, I love watching William Shatner overact. I it works with him for some reason, and him being it's so racist, but also anti-semitic the way he was blaming the Jews for everything was still happening today i mean you know this replacement theory stuff that was going on today is Mm -hmm. word for word happening in this movie and it's so such a trip to watch also you don't notice how much a young william shatner uh looks like a a tucker carlson until you see this movie you know what i mean it's like i'm like oh my god i'm seeing this stuff um but yeah i i I found it to be really powerful and amazing like i've never seen a roger corman movie that was this real to me and um boy what a hidden gem i think it is tough to watch uh but like i said it speaks to so much stuff still happening today we just keep repeating the same stories is it like a light stoner fair no no. But uh, I was in my head enough where I'm like, whoa, man, this is a trip. How real this is. Wow. And how relevant it is. So uh, thank you. That's for good. Me this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, That's a good I, reaction. I was really well, impressed with William Shatner. Oh, and you know, I, I feel like some of the scenes were very artfully filmed, too. There's a scene where um, the black kids are walking to school the first day integration. And it's very tense uh, just to watch like all the white people. Mm-hmm. um stare them down as they're walking slowly through the town there's a scene where they take a black kid and they tie him up to a swing and they start swinging him up and down like a a play a playground swing and it is so disturbing and Mm -hmm. intense and weird and lynchian in a way it's just like what are they doing to this kid on a swing and i i don't know i feel like it was very artfully done um for a, a roger corman film that was probably made in two or three days or something like that you know I love some was, of the uh, symbolism in that movie too. Like, there's a scene where um, the 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 black uh, pastor is is murdered and the church bombed, and it cuts directly to a black and white chessboard, and we see the white jump over the the, great, the yeah. black, and and it's like it so speaks to that mindset which is still happening now with people that are anti-vax and things where they really just look at things as like winning and losing, you know, like yes. the fact that the schools are going to be integrated is a loss to, to, to the town. It's a loss to white people, you know, and, 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 you know, the fact that, um, you know, uh, 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 you might have to get vaccinated is a loss you know, for, for, for you personally, if you are of that mindset, you know, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's just such a, a, a stupid, simple minded way to look at things. And like you said, Corey, this stuff is not changing, you know, it's still happening today and it, and it's very, it's, it's, it's very relevant movie. So it's, yeah, I guess, I guess smoking weed can help you you know, kind of connect the dots, right? Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> um, yeah, the, the, it's interesting that you said that about how the integration's a loss. Like all the yeah. old racists are kind of like dejected in this movie. They're like, we lost, so we mm-hmm. got to get some power back. And it's not explicitly said, you know. So it's kind of like you kind of have to be a savvy viewer to 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 get this movie, which is you know you know. Usually these Roger Corman films are made for dummies, <laughs> and um, so this was nice. Also, yeah. it, it's January sixth on film you know it's like he inc- he incites these people to just do violence and it's it's so real which bob what was this movie made for was this movie made for like drive-ins or what like who was going to see this movie <laughs> well originally um there was a deal with united artists to to do this and it was kind of like a roger corman making a slightly bigger movie it was still going to be a low budget movie but it wasn't going to be like the kind of drive-in stuff um and you know uh, tony randall was cast in the shatner role at one time oh wow they had tony randall <laughs> attached which is really if you think shatner saying this dialogue is bizarre it's like think of oh. think of uh felix unger like you know like him, like his delivery on these lines would be. Oh my god! It would be. It, yeah, I have, I have to. Say, I think Shatner was perfectly young. William Shatner is a mm-hmm. perfect Stephen Miller, <laughs> like in or Tucker Carlson or something. He yeah, na- yeah. he nail he nails it. Yeah, and uh, we should say that he's a Canadian Jew. Yeah, you oh, know. So also, his character's name is Adam Kramer. Sounds Jewish to me. <laughs> well, yeah. And then there was and, like a guy named Shipman in there, and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, the, the white supremacist named Shipman. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but it eventually, like, it just kind of kept the budget kept shrinking, mm. and it became this kind of guerrilla run and gun shoot. They had trouble with the. It was filmed in a town in Missouri. The townspeople there were like calling the film crew communists. Yeah, uh, you know, and they were just having to battle that. Gene Corman, Roger's brother, was having to kind of hold back the actual mob that wasn't involved in the movie. Um, they filmed like the big crowd shots because everybody would gather for the crowd shots. Yeah, he would save like Shatner delivering the the big speech for later when the crowd had dissipated because mm. people get bored of all the setups, especially the setups back then. That was yeah. Corman realized like you know we're we'll do all the big crowd stuff and then like when Shatner's really letting go with the Jews and the N-words, we're going, you know, we're going to, like, film that later when there's just well, less people Well, that's smart, around. because the whole movie is about not being able to control, you know, this, this, when the genie's out of the bottle, the racist genie, you know, you can't, you can't control it, and there were a few scenes during that scene that you brought up with the swing, uh, Corey, that they showed, and it's one of the worst shots in the movie, they show these just white buzz cut kids just laughing their asses off. And, and it's like, I was sitting there and wondering like, God, I hope they film that separately. God, I hope they brought a birthday clown out and like shot that. And and instead of like making those kids act, it, it, it would be very irresponsible. Or they weren't acting and they just thought it was funny, which is highly likely, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't know. Minstrelsy is it is Shatner's um, and well, Corman's experimental phase. It's Shatner's experimental phase because it's around the same time he did that movie. Um, what is it? Uh, the, the Incubus movie. That's all in Esperanto. So it's oh like God. kind of th- the Shatner experimental phase. Bob, please don't make us watch that one for this show. Uh, that, that's coming sooner. If that shows up on Tubi, man, we're there. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> With no subtitles. <laughs> Eclipso. 
Um, <laughs> the, this movie made me laugh once, and there yes. was one laugh in it, and it was when a little kid was a little black kid was like listening to the most um, old oh, yeah. person jazz music, and they're like, yeah. "Turn that racket down." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> that's that's KCSM that now. That's like sophisticated. Uh, I want to say something before we get to the weed on this. I want to say something about uh, the writer Charles Beaumont. Mm-hmm. He wrote a, the novel. This was based on. He was a science fiction writer. He wrote some of the better Twilight Zones, like The Howling Man, that one with John Carradine. Uh, who's locked up the devil. He's the monk who's locked up the devil. That's like one of the kind of more, you know, it's one of the ones you look forward to when it comes on the uh, sci-fi decades uh, Twilight Zone marathon. Yeah, thanks for letting me know that this was the same writer. I love that episode. And he wrote uh, number 12, Looks Just Like You, which had a profound influence on me when I was, when I was you know, a preteen mm-hmm. and first saw it. Um, the very, definitely a very, very uh, heavy episode of, of that show. Uh, so he had collaborated with Corman again. He wrote mask of red death, which is my favorite, maybe my favorite Roger Corman movie. Definitely my favorite of the Vincent price, Edgar Allan Poe movies they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what's, what's, what's weird and sad about him is he had this degenerative disease and people blamed it on alcoholism at first or they classified it as Alzheimer's, but he physically aged. Like he died in his late thirties, I think, or early forties, but he looked like a 90 year old man. Mm. So this guy who wrote twilight zone episodes dies in a very kind of twilight zone kind of way. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Thanks it's for like that context. Pro- progeria. Is that, is it that, um, that premature aging disease. Yeah, it was something like that, uh-huh. but it was like not anything. It wasn't the one where just you're young and you, you know, you look old from an early age. He uh-huh. was like this kind of seemingly healthy, normal guy. Got and it. then this, then he got just started just aging rapidly, mm-hmm. you know, but it was beyond just the effects of alcoholism or even if it was Alzheimer's, it was like he, he not only, mentally aged and ha- was having problems near the end of the 60s but he was he was physically aging like a kind of benjamin button kind of you know sci- almost a science fiction fantasy kind of you know rapidly aging mm-hmm. incredibly unlike the misfits we still have the creative team on this one shatner and roger corman are still with us today so let's take a smoke a toke a doobie to that to them roger corman and shatner or a vape <laughs> A vape. Could, there you go. <laughs> they they should uh, they should do a sequel. We're at we're Adam Kramer. You know, <laughs> Adam Kramer's. You know, hey, you know, uh, working on the. Let's Trump petition campaign. Hollywood to make that one. <laughs> you know, get Be- no Bezos. Come on, Jeff. You owe Shatner yes, a song. Exactly. He just went up in your dick rocket. Yeah. Shatner was inside your dick in space, and, and when he was you, when he was talking about the blackness of space, you could find a double meaning in that uh, performance <laughs> that he did when he landed. Roger, come on, you know, go out <laughs> on this one. I, I I do another thing before we get to the weed. I think it's really profound that Shatner is from the Patrick Henry Society. That oh yeah, Adam Kramer there, right? And he's. He's almost like, even he's using the N-word, so he's definitely like a, you know, clan adjacent. 
Yeah. But he's trying to play it a little like Carl Rove. He wants to keep control of things. Right. But yeah, but it's like all those Carl Rove types that they they use those people for years to get enough votes to to get like George W. Bush in office, but then they they've now lost control the way he did. They couldn't they they you know, but yeah, Shatner is going way beyond dog whistles here. He you know? he he invokes but, Hitler at one point. Um he he does he does uh uh, praise Hitler, which in 1961 is m- maybe a little more relevant to people than it is, you know, now. Um, I did, I, I asked, uh, that this is like kind of speaking to the relevance of it, but um, my, my daughter has seen a lot of old movies, but she doesn't really have the timeline, you know, that we do. And so I asked her, when did she think this movie came out? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Um, 1940 and i was like no it's more like 1960 and she was just horrified i was like if this was movie was made in 1940 it wouldn't even have black people in it this is this is this is a progression even though it is like such an illustration of such a i mean you wouldn't even be able to make this movie in 1940 well there's that movie from like the 50s or maybe the late 40s with ronald reagan uh, warning sign or warning signal, I think, and it's mm. a movie about the Klan that has no black people in it. Like right. the Klan is just hassling, I guess, you know, kind of like immigrants, which happens, but they're like kind of white, maybe Jewish, European immigrants of some kind, and like it's a movie about the Klan without African Americans. So you, yeah, right. you're, you're t- t- you know, that might not even be ten years before this, but your That's point what they had is to there. Do back then, you know, like they couldn't make a movie about gays. So they make gentlemen's agreement. They just change it out to make it about Jews. It's all kinds of a lot of lot of like uh, symbolism or stand-ins during that time period in in Hollywood. Yeah, and then Corman comes along and he's just like, "Fuck it, I'm Roger Corman." You know, you know, I made Attack of the Crab Monsters. Uh, the fucking crab monster ate the professor from Gilligan's Island's head and starts yeah. talking with his voice. This is what I do. I know, you know, you do kind of struggle with that. Like, is this supremely tasteless, despite all the artistry and the, the sentiment behind it, to make a film like this? Basically an exploitation film, a drive-in film, a movie called I Hate Your Guts. Is that is there something really wrong about that? Yeah, and, and does the movie lose control of the crowd the way Adam <laughs> Kramer does? Right. Like, how many people, wa- I mean, if racists are on Canopy, if they get their, if they go into libraries and get library cards to get Canopy, <laughs> are they watching this thinking, that guy's pretty cool? Yeah, they're just, they're seeing a different movie and they're seeing it as tragic that the town turns their back on him. Yeah, it, it made me wonder about those, those, those uh, scenes with the townspeople. If if Corman was pulling a, a advanced director move and telling telling him that this guy's a good guy and you guys should cheer him on, yeah. I think some of those people were just doing that naturally. Yeah, like it didn't matter. You right. know, it was like, oh yeah, he's right. Let's let's. I hope there was no violence in the town inspired by acting, mm-hmm. as Corey and both of you have talked about this this thing doing. So what weed? Let's get to the weed here. I'll go first. Um, yes. Thank, thank you again, Bob, for showing me this movie. I, re- I, th- I think it, whatever it is, it is a kind of like an important document of movies at the time. 
And uh, really, like any all these speeches William Shatner gives, you could go read on 4chan right now, word for word, the same shit. <laughs> right. So I I uh, I smoked. Uh, I was way too high for this movie. I smoked a hybrid that was indica dominant this time, called Alien Jack. This is a weed strain made by crossing Chemdog and Alien OG. It's on the high THC side, so more mellow and less brainy than the last one I was smoking. And um, I thought it was a good balance for the heavy subject matter in this movie, and really got me uh, in my head to think about what was happening also to enjoy William Shatner's overacting and his hair which he amazingly has to this day somehow so yeah <laughs> alien jack that's great I'm not I'm I don't know the strains as well but I did kind of struggle with what kind of weed I wanted to I, I I feel like for me it's it's like an indica might make me more complacent so I don't really know if I want to wa- be complacent when I watch a film that is showing us so many problems with society. So I kind of went for a, uh, more of a, more of a, of a busy head high with, uh, with, with, a with a, a sativa dominant hybrid. I think it was, um, cherry cookies or something like mm. that. It, it was something like that. It, it's, it was super delicious and, and it kind of kept me on my toes. Like I was high, but I was, I was, I was engaged in the dialogue here. So that wraps up our first premiere even episode of Old Movies for Young Stoners. You can find The Misfits streaming on Amazon Prime, Canopy, or on Pluto free with ads. The Intruder, also known as I Hate Your Guts, is available on Canopy, a free video streaming service available from participating public libraries. Uh, Greg, before we sign off here, is there anything going on at Six Point you want to talk about? Anything coming up? Oh, boy. Um, It's it's one of those things where we have a lot of great stuff coming up, but nothing that I can really talk about right now. Nothing nothing hitting Cartoon Network that you made six months ago? Uh, You can watch... um, 2021 was a great year. We could watch um, uh, Tignataro Drawn on HBO Max, as you mentioned. And you can also watch... uh, The Holidays have passed, but you can watch our... Mariah Carey animated spectacular on YouTube uh, right now. Whoa. If you put Mariah Carey's Perfect Christmas on YouTube, awesome! <laughs> and it was a perfect Christmas too. It, it, it sure was. was. It sure was, <laughs> especially These, for Mariah Carey. You know, for her, only, it was only a perfect Christmas for her. I think I was waiting on. Uh, I was in COVID jail. Uh, COVID waiting for test results. Corey, you have to look forward to like in ten years, like talking about your health issues. What you know, I, d- like- I just told, I just showed you my meds before we started recording. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Let's well, on our next episode, we're going to talk about all the meds we're taking and the pain we have shooting down our right leg. What SSRI is best for this movie? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, there is there is a part of me that like. You know, like, oh, I, I have to go to the hospital. Maybe they'll give me double Norcos. And then, you know, sooner or later, I'm just going to be like, well, I took a double Norco for this movie. And <laughs> exactly. Because that's what I really want to take all the time. Thanks, Kaiser. Thanks for giving me that monkey on my back. <laughs> um, um, hey, hey, Corey, uh, you, you have a, you're doing, you're about to take off for one of your uh, tours of Hollywood cemeteries. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Right. I do. I do. Um, I do uh, walking tours of Hollywood Forever Cemetery where John Houston is buried, actually. And uh, so, yeah, I'm about to do one right now. But if you're interested in taking a punk rock tour. Um, where I, you see a bunch of dead rock and roll stars at Hollywood Cemetery, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. You could look up Punk Rock Graveyard Tour on Instagram, 
and uh, hit me up there, and I'll, I'll walk you around and show you some dead rock stars. I've written a book called The Murders That Made Us. It's a true crime history of, of San Francisco. You can get it on the usual online suspects, or find out more about it at www.murdersthatmadeus.com. And uh, that that begs the question that I'm going to get asked by like two or three people who care. It's like, why aren't you doing a true crime podcast? Because it's depressing. <laughs> Please, no more. I don't want to think about Dan White anymore. I'd yeah. much rather think about Charlie Chaplin's chicken hawking than than Dan White. So yeah, just give me a break. as we as we give get a... stoned off our asses and watch the Misfits, you know, yeah, we don't want to be too depressing, Bob. <laughs> you well, know, you know, I, it's the Irish in me. I'm always, it's always got to be a little depressing. But yes, the Misfits is over in two hours. Okay, that's so. Um, join us in about two weeks because we don't have our shit together yet. We I, we don't have a website or anything. Uh, and enjoy these shows with only us plugging our own shit because we don't have sponsors. So enjoy these first episodes, everybody. But come back, come back in two weeks for the next episode of Old Movies for Young Stoners, where we celebrate the film where classic horror star Vincent Price locks himself into an attic and shoots smack. This is a reoccurring theme in Vincent's career. So yes, be back for Dragonwick, a gothic romance from the height of the studio system, and The Tingler, the magnum opus from William Castle, king of the gimmicks, that'll all be right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners!